0: Welcome to the FinFeed Podcast. FinFeed brings you all the latest in market-moving ASX small cap news as well as interviews with innovative and groundbreaking company leaders and entrepreneurs. Here to speak with us today about the use of technology in the defense sector is XTech Limited ASX XTE managing director Philippe Oudois. Mr. Oudoir has over 26 years in general management and defense-related companies in Australia and overseas. Developed Quickstep, an innovative ASX-listed company from a startup to a leader in composite manufacturing technology with 50 million revenue and specializes in developing and commercializing new technology in a defense environment. xtech provides high-quality products to deliver tailored solutions to the government, law enforcement, military space, and commercial sectors. Philippe, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Jonathan. You have a long history in the defense sector. What led you into this sector and what has kept you there?
1: It's a very interesting question. I used to be in telecommunication at the start of my career and when my specialty is uh, really working with uh, administrations uh, across the world, you know, international mm-hmm. you know, administration. And as the telecommunication gradually went and sort of started selling things directly to, to end users, I thought I needed to sort of find another another sector. Right. And I, I noticed that things that seeing my children grow, growing up I could see that the two sectors that will never go down are food and, and defense. <laughs> so, and I had an opportunity to join a company at Thales in defense, and that's what started it. Right, right. And you obviously enjoyed it to keep you there. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, that, that was exactly what I was looking for, so that was fun. You know, technical, lots of innovation, very international, and, you know, let's say that's a good cause. Yeah, yeah
0: can you give us a quick background then of your achievements within this particular sector and and i guess what you think is most important in running a successful asx listed company in terms of innovation
1: so in terms of defence it's it's different. you know the key to defence is innovation is to be able to have something better than the, the other side mm. and so from the the dawn of humanity uh, people were trying to sort of find something better you know bronze was taken over by iron and it kept on going like this, you know, and keeps on going like this at the present time, so you know it's it 's always a question of innovating, finding what 's available and making sure that you you propose something that is better, and you, you use as much of the uh, the science that is available and that that 's the key to that 's the key to success, so you can 't basically be successful in defense unless you you 're innovative so that that 's basically what i 've done in most of my career, and you know adding the innovation to the rest of the skills that you need to run a, to run a company is absolutely essential. Mm. Is that what happened at Quickstep, it was that
0: innovation that uh, led it to have that sort of success?
1: Well, in, in terms, yes, to a large extent, the uh, Quickstep when I joined them was uh, had basically no revenue, only costs, wow. it was a, a real startup, you know, and, you know, we, we measured the company in terms of firm um, every, every month and progress on the, uh, on the technology. So everything had to be organized, you know, making sure the technology would progress and, and be successful, making sure the company would be properly organized. I was reasonably lucky in Quickstep. There was a need to sort of produce some advanced composites within the F-35 program. And actually, the two manufacturers of composite in this country, Boeing and Airbus, basically didn't have, well, we're not part of the F-35 at all. I mean, you know, it's a yeah. So there was no real appetite for them to sort of, sort of invest and sort of, we had a, an embryo of a factory at the time in Perth, and we proposed our services to to Lockheed Martin. I was sort of known to known to them because of you know my past in in defence, and you know appreciated. And so they gave us they trust us and basically gave us a billion dollar contract on the startup, and it was quite <laughs> right. quite quite a bet on their side. But you know we presented properly, and you know, we showed what, what we could do. And you know at the end of the day, it was a win win for everyone. Yeah, yeah, So how
0: did that lead into to Xtech?
1: So I left. I left Quickstep uh, about four years ago. You know they wanted to go into different areas that I, I was not, you know, supporting. And so I sort of met Quickstep by by chance, really. I mean, you know, that's always how it happens. Mm-hmm. And obviously, these guys had a business that was stable, that uh, you know was selling, had been, you know, stable for several, well, twenty, twenty-five years already. And they had an innovation arm that was, you know, starting to get some results. So right. it was a lot more mature than Quickstep. And it was a question of, you know, basically taking a company that was making equipment for the soldier from an importer and a and maintenance sort of a perspective to an actual finalization of a number of technologies that started to develop into the reality of, you know, producing it, you know, setting up a factory that we, uh, we've done in, in Adelaide. And basically selling it to the world because the product is actually, you know, top quality and quite unique in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how have you been able to roll, I guess, that that
1: out, those products out and, and build those contracts up? <laughs> you know, one at a time. In a startup, you really need, you don't only really need a good idea. I mean, that's that's something what a lot of people don't understand in that sort of world. Having a good idea is is important, is essential, but you know, it's probably one percent of the cost and one percent of what is necessary to be successful. Mm. You need to be able to develop that. So in that case, we had a process. We, um, what uh, is, uh, we're looking at at the present time is a technology called Exclave that can make you know ballistic helmets and plates a lot lighter by a new process. So we had to make sure that the process was actually mature enough. We had to make sure the process could produce products that were of interest to the market. Mm-hmm. We had to be able to produce all these things in, in a factory, and then you had to be able to sell it to the rest of the world. And again, you know, the Australian market is a very small one. So it was really a world market. And, you know, that, that's what I do. So it was pretty good. So the, the four conditions there, you know, I've worked on, on all of them in parallel. And they, they're sort of converging now to products that we've sold. We, we, we sold our first large order to the Finnish Finnish army. So it's not exactly close to Australia. That particular the deal took two and a half years to sort of put together. So it, it was not, not exactly, you, you have to start early when you're in defense because you don't, not because you have a factory and the product that it sells. You have to sort of be in touch with uh, lots of people. And so this one was, uh, we signed it, you know, to a couple of months ago and, and they will deliver, you know, by the end of the year. So it's the timing of all these things that you have to sort of track in parallel to make sure that at the end of the day, you have the four ingredients, you know, which is a very good technology, products that are quite unique, commercialization on channels that are unique as well, and making sure, of course, you can produce. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing
0: it's fairly competitive too. So I'm guessing that that technology and what is behind that technology would be hugely important to set
1: you apart. Absolutely. I mean, it's trying to sort of enter a market like this, unless you have something you know, exceptional and very different from what the others have is is it was absolutely essential you're right so you know we can do i mean it depends in what sector and what you know what what sort of threat you're talking about and, mm-hmm. but we're doing things that can be up to 30 percent lighter than existing products so that makes a huge difference of course
0: yeah yeah so let, let's talk about the the technology the x and the x-atlas can you describe that technology for us and i guess give us a, an example of how it all works
1: yeah, sure. The x is actually a technology by which when you consolidate a plate or a helmet, you put sort of a preform thing as the shape of a helmet or a plate, but it's still soft. I mean, it's made of material that is basically look like a, a cloth, if you like. Mm-hmm. And you put it in a high pressure container, you pressurize the whole thing at 300 bars and you circulate hot fluid inside to sort of consolidate the product. Right. The fact that it's a fluid is actually getting you the same pressure everywhere on the part. So on, on the plate, it's important, but on the helmet, you, you can see that the typical other technologies available to do this tend to be actual presses, which you know gives you a good pressure on the crown, on the top of the of the helmet, but not necessarily on the side. Mm. And what a lot of people are battling with is trying to get that pressure even everywhere. And, and of course, the fluid is, is the best way. So it looks simple, but it's... <laughs> took us 12 years to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I guess you have to not only keep comfort in mind, but safety in mind and merging those two things would be quite difficult.
1: Yes. It's, so we have patents on this okay. so that we have a great level of protection. We have a number of things as well in terms of know-how and key elements of the machine that actually we, we've developed and, and own and, and basically keep secret. Mm. So it's very important. But the principle I described to you, uh, you know, everyone understands it. And that, that's great because, I mean, when you go and present the, the technology to people in the industry, they get it in about a nanosecond. I mean, you know, they, they sort of say, yeah, I mean, hey, but how does it, you know, how do you make it work? <laughs> a lot of them have tried and, and failed. <laughs> so there's a bit more than just a the concept. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of tweaking and a lot of, a lot of thinking and a lot of experimenting and a lot of clever people, you know, working on it to make, to make it happen. <laughs> Yeah. And X-Atlas, how does, that, uh, how does that work? So X-Atlas is a, is a slightly different thing. It's a software product, and we started it from a perspective that one of the activity of the company is we're selling UAVs, you know, unmanned aerial vehicles. And we normally get from these aircraft a stream of data, it's a, a video stream, basically. And, you know, these companies tend to specialize very much in terms of the technical aspect of flying an aircraft and collecting a video stream. They don't look at it from a perspective of how do you sort of help the soldier to sort of exploit this. So what we've done is we've, uh, we've taken this, this video and basically applied a combination of video processing on one side and photogrammetry on the other. Mm-hmm. There again, those two things tend to be very separate in the real world. I mean, people doing photogrammetry don't normally dabble with video and vice versa. We sort of put those two together, talking to customers and understanding exactly what they wanted, mm. and you know, got a, an extremely good result. So it gives us basically a way to do a 3D map from a video, a stream of video of a small UAV. So you, you, you say, well, it's not, not that innovative. Well, no, it's not. The very big UAVs have got that. But you'd pay $65 million for a Predator we can do that with a, a UAV worth, you know, twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000. So, right. I mean, it, it sort of puts it, you know, within the reach of the soldier, which yes. is our specialty, with something that is, you know, accurate enough and fast enough. I mean, it, it, it has to be done really basically on the run. Mm-hmm. Because what the, what the soldier wants is information that is current. They don't want it. You, know, you, you can buy that sort of software you know, out of the box of a of $1,000 a $1, UAV. Mm-hmm. Problem is it will uh, take a sophisticated computer about a day to give you something like this. Here we get it within the time of flight to a large extent. So, and then we have a number of tools to compare it with pictures that you have or videos that you have of the same area an hour before, two hours before, whatever, what you've got in your database. And we have ways to sort of retrieve these kinds of data from a, you know, an organization, an organized database that would allow you to do it. And then you have tools to compare what was there, what is, what is new. And so, so really, it's all designed for to sort of get the soldier to sort of exploit a video coming from a UAV in real time and do something with it, which is interesting for its uh, for its purpose. We can do 3D model, for instance. You you do a turn of 360 degree over a building even at night and you get you get a model, a three D model which allows you to see the, the, the doors, the windows, the soldiers behind walls, all these things are just, you know, as if you know you you you, you were there. And mm. so of course the, the soldier is 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 very interested. Yeah. And you don't need to sort of mobilize a very, very expensive asset. It's something they carry with them. The sort of UAV we sell, you know, they weigh about one point three kilos. It's it fits in your backpack. Right. Wow. Well. So so I'm
0: guessing that would allow them to be more proactive than reactive
1: in a, in in a, in a situation. Well, soldiers tend to be proactive, <laughs> <Come on>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it allows them to, to see what they've got. And one one of I don't know if you heard that expression, but the uh, the fog of war is one one thing that is what is killing people basically. If you don't know where the enemy is, mm. you're going to expose yourself because you don't know. Whereas if you know exactly where the, the, the opposition is, I mean, you you will take you know whatever action to make sure you're protected and you won't you know sort of expose yourself without knowing, and that's what kills people at the present time. So that that's really in modern modern warfare in our kinds of country where where life is actually valued. Yes, that's how you by understanding what the what the opposition is doing by seeing what they're doing even if they're hidden somewhere, mm-hmm. you can you can still know what they do and act accordingly. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we've spoken about defence here, but what about, I guess, law enforcement and commercial sectors? How do they use these sorts of products?
1: Well, law enforcement are less. You you're talking Atlas, or you're talking Exclave? I'm guessing Atlas, but I'd say there there would be a
0: purpose for Exclave as well.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, Atlas is a bit new, I suppose, for the law enforcement. They have less less of a an absolute need, basically, to know what's on the other side. They normally tend to be have a reason reasonable superiority to the people they're tracking but you know they could use it it's it's not the case yet but they could use it that would work very well for them too mm-hmm. on the exclave of course it's obvious the police are are using helmets and plates on a, mm-hmm. on a permanent basis mm-hmm. actually uh, soldiers they train and they but they don't go to operations you know that often people in in the police basically have got uh, you know ballistic protection on their back 8 hours a day i mean you know that's through their their, their shift yeah. eight hours a day so they don't necessarily have a, a hard plate which is something they normally put in in case they they know where they're going into an area where there are shootings are happening but they have soft armor on and you know permanently yeah. so these guys are very sensitive to weight if you can reduce the weight i mean i don't know if you next time you're in the street and look at the police guy i mean you know yeah. these guys have got you know a lo- loads of stuff on their on their back. Yeah. And so and the military is even worse. I mean for weight for them is is extremely important. Right. So trying to reduce the weight is essential in that sort of operation. Yeah. And so we're doing we're doing a number of things in that in that direction. You have more and more women as well in the, in that area. The present time they use stuff that are made for people like us. We don't look like a like a female on our on our torso clearly. Yeah. And so they, they need to sort of have adaptions as well, which is, you know, things we work on. We, we've we just launched a soft armor for female, which is you know very well, very well taken. Sort of so much more comfortable for them. It's obviously uh, something that, that is important. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so comfort and, and the, the capacity to sort of be protected across the day without having to feel exhausted at the end of the day or, or have uh, permanent injuries because of carrying too much load. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting the way things are going, and and I guess that leads us into how you got into space. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what, what's uh, you've obviously signed the deal this week, but that, and that's been some time coming. But what were you looking at within that market?
1: I stumbled on it, I might say, coming from a carbon fiber background with uh, Quickstep, where I did uh, a lot of things using carbon fiber during the, the seven or eight years I was there. Mm-hmm. When I saw the the capability, I thought, well, you know, it's good for for ballistic, but it can be used as well on to do carbon fiber. And, and by the massive pressure that we, we apply, we can actually put less resin in a product, in a carbon fiber product. And therefore, make it lighter. Because what makes the strength of a of a carbon fiber product is not the resin; it's the it's the fiber. So I thought, well, we, we if we could actually use something like this in intricate, you know, sort of a product that is, you know, not necessarily aerodynamic. One of, one of the problems of carbon fiber it's very hard to mold on on things that have sharp angles. Yeah. And with 300 bars, we can you, you can use you can shape it to any 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 shape you'd like. And I thought the people that would need that the most are probably space, because space values the, the weight, you know, probably more than any other any other industry. Yeah. So so it's in by order its space is the most sensitive to to weight, and then helicopters, then aircraft, then ships, then yes. trucks or whatever, yeah. and then non-moving non-moving things. So but the price people are prepared to pay per kilo is of course you know on the other side of that scale. Mm-hmm. So I thought you know there are some merit in in terms of using that technology for space. And parallel to that, the, the space has become a lot more, a lot easier to access because we now have lo- a lot of small satellites coming up, small launchers, you know, Elon Musk and uh, yeah. and SpaceX basically showed the world that you could do space at a much cheaper price. And rightly so, I mean, you know, more and more of those are coming up. And so we, when the space agency was created in Australia, we got in touch with them immediately. Uh, they helped, you know, considerably the, the industry. These kinds of satellites needed structures inside that were light and that were, you know, produced in, in this country. So that's where we raised our hand. Frankly, we didn't invest very much, but we sort of went with the flow. And because the product, again, was, you know, very light and, and you know, we, we were there and the, you know, the market, you know, carried us. And that's how we sort of got. So we had a first MOU with Skycraft. We had a first yes. MOU with the Space Agency, Australian Space Agency. And that led to the contract we announced on Monday, which is the first part. Basically, we would do to sort of stack up to thirty satellites into into one launcher, and we do right. a structure that carries that. It's quite
0: exciting.
1: <laughs> it is. It is very exciting. And Australia is not the only country that is working on on these kinds of things. Right. So that has potential, you know, in a number of number of places. But it's it's more a byproduct than a design strategy from from the start. I mean. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, as you say, this
0: is, I guess, a different kind of deal for the company, but, but what can we expect in the back half of
1: 2020? Is there anything else in the pipeline that's, that's coming up? So what will happen early next year, next financial year, basically, mm-hmm. is we will start delivering products and we'll sign more contracts. Well, one of the key things we did as well, which is quite important we haven't spoken about, is that in terms of being able to address the world market, We looked at what's available in the world market. And and when you look at the the figures, 40% of the ballistic market is in the U.S. So we thought, well, we need a strategy to get into the U.S. And we had this opportunity early last year when we acquired a company called Hycom in the U.S. Hycom is a company based in Columbus, Ohio, and they manufacture products, you know, armor products, plates and, and helmets. They, of course, have a, a network in the U.S., mainly in the law enforcement. Remember that in the U.S. you have 18,000 law enforcement agencies. Each of them are buying sort of separately. So the way you address that compared to, you know, our few states, you know, half a dozen states in, in, in Australia and the federal police, you know, is, is of course very different. <laughs> mm. So these guys had a very good network and were selling, you know, throughout the law enforcement, a bit to the military, but mainly to law enforcement. So we acquired them, and now we have an, a, 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 basically an access to this market, which is huge. Yes. So we've start, we've already started. We've launched a helmet and a plate already at an exhibition in January in in, in the US. We're developing two or three other products okay. that will complement that using our using our technology. Mm-hmm. And basically, we have started selling in the US, and you know we expect you know a fairly fairly substantial amount of sales. Because the sales they're doing are not the long-term one that I mentioned for the Finnish Finnish Army. They are, you know, many police and these things people order and we deliver, you know, nearly X stock. So we can have, it could be as short as a few days and as long as to a couple of months. Right. So you have to be very careful not not to sort of push your your sales too early because if you can't deliver, that's (laughs) Yeah. That's a bad point against you. Yeah. So, But we're there. And in the first half of next financial year, you know, expect a fairly sizable amount of sales done in the US through Icom and also to other parts of the world where we've we've started to sort of promote the product with different organizations in Europe and, uh, you know, in the Far East. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be a big
0: 12 months. I guess I, I, I kind of want to finish here and just tie it all in because I'm that has that I guess has had resonance with with shareholders. And the, the share price has been on a pretty steady rise since March, despite, you know, the shutdown and the pandemic. You've gone from fifty one cents to seventy five cents today. So I'm guessing that that sort of that activity that you've had, that's actually given shareholders and
1: and confidence in the market. Well, you know, I've been trying to sort of passed that message you know, through different means to, you know, different communications journalists and, and you know, how, how to be successful in a, in a startup. And, you know, I had the impression that, you know, the message was passing and we said, well, we opened the factory in fe- February. You know, I thought, well, that, will, that should, should have some resonance here. Not much happened. Mm. We sort of get our first sale in, in Finland about six weeks ago. Nothing happened. And then really, I mean, the start of the, gr- the growth came last week when we actually announced that a commercial loan from the Commonwealth Bank right. for $2.5 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is great. You know, it's good for a small company like us to sort of get uh, access to bank to the banking system. You know, you need to do a lot of effort to get there. And we, we've done that and, and we've been successful. In terms of dilution for our shareholders, it's of course much better than uh, having a capital raise. Yeah. So, so that was good news, but it was not massive news. Mm. And on that news, people sort of, recognize that, you know, a lot of the communication we did before said, oh, well, you know, they're onto something here. And the price started to go up. And in a week, you're right, it went from 55 cents to 75 today. Yeah. So, yeah, I think people start to realize the potential. The market cap that we had up to now, about the 30 million, was probably not reflective of the potential of the company and certainly not of what we've done. I think we'll have a readjustment over the next, over the next few months going up and reflecting that. Yeah, yeah, there's certainly
0: uh, exciting times ahead, it seems. I guess a lot of news to look forward to. Philippe, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, Jonathan.